listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast, one of the few podcasts that tell you about God at work in Canadian cities. I'm excited to have our next guest speak. Erin Oxford is involved in ministry along with her husband, Dion. They've been long-termers in the Parkdale neighborhood of Toronto, and their ministry is simply called The Dale. Uh, over the years, uh, through uh, uh, needing to relocate and, and uh, then uh, being without uh, a place to call their own, uh, they've become nomads in the Dale. Their ministry uh, is found throughout the Parkdale neighborhood in a variety of settings, working with uh, folks that uh, in many cases uh, are living on the margins of society. So at the recent Our City Toronto conference in uh, the last weekend of May, uh, Aaron was one of the keynote speakers. And uh, so we're going to go right now and uh, hear her address. Coffee, to chop vegetables for the lunch at 1 p.m., to play a song on one of our well-loved and battered guitars, um, to chat, to get a token for transit, People come for any number of reasons, but if we were to boil it down to one, it is to connect. The Dale welcomes all people and makes intentional space for those who are often pushed, pushed right out to the margins. We are a very group. Many of us live outside, some of us in community housing or rooming houses, and only a few of us in houses of our own. Some of us are struggling with addiction to street drugs, or alcohol, or television, or eating too much food. Some of us have diagnosed mental health challenges that range from uh, depression and anxiety to paranoid schizophrenia. We are a motley crew, one that in large part knows what it is to be shunned and pushed away because people think that we smell like the street. The truth is, many people have selected us as the unlovable. In an effort to silence those voices that say otherwise, we acknowledge that we share, we all share a common humanity. I often say that many of my friends wear their challenges so close to the surface that they can't hide them even if they wanted to. And that I am no less challenged if just that I might have the capacity to kind of push those things down and manage them in a way so that they're not evident to everybody else. In a way, by so openly sharing themselves, these friends give me permission to do the same and remind me that we are all weak and fragile, like clay pots. We know we need help, and choose again and again to journey alongside one another toward deeper wholeness in Christ. I first met Fred, who knows I'm telling this story, but that is not their real name, outside the community center at the corner of Cowan and Queen. So this is in the West End. He was immediately menacing and demanded that I give him a pair of tokens. I didn't have tokens. In fact, at the time, our bank account was overdrawn. 
I tried to explain all of this, but none of it mattered. To Fred, I was a person he expected to have been able to meet his immediate need. Through tears, I tried to explain our situation. Through anger, he tried to explain his. Our parting that day was not pretty. Fred slowly began to show up at our Monday drop-in. His very big personality and even bigger voice would fill the room. He claimed to hate our food, always, <laughs> routinely told us that our coffee sucked, and almost always became threatening. Rather than leaving at our request, he would plant his feet firmly down. He would sort of like get really deep and say, I am not going anywhere. Fred was accustomed to being restricted from drop-in centers and seemed intent on testing us to see what we might do. One day, he decided to scream, and he was really screaming, that I was a terrible pastor. We ended up standing nose to nose in an alley-like driveway at the side of our drop-in building. I rarely raise my voice, but on this day, not only did I raise it, I matched his profanity with my own. It was not one of my prouder moments. I felt something in me snap and became determined, at least in my mind, to not let him get away with the way he was treating me and multiple other people that day. Amazingly, there is a grace that transcends, and that screaming match actually became our turning point. Both Fred and I needed time to discover who the other was. For many valid reasons, Fred distrusted people. For many valid reasons, I felt threatened by Fred. Building a relationship and trust was going to take time. If either of us had bolted, we wouldn't be where we are now. Fred and I do have a friendship. We have developed a way to talk with one another. He makes me laugh. I make him generally roll his eyes. <laughs> Things still go sideways sometimes but with less regularity. I am convinced that Fred, though he will rarely admit it, feels welcome. There is no living life on the surface at the Dale, which I would argue is its own work to do. Instead, we dive deep into the complex intertwining of joy and grief, delight, contentment, distress. To be honest, I can't imagine living another way. Being here today, into our third year of a pandemic, I know we could all share stories of the intertwining of those things. Right? Grief and joy. Loss, contentment, surprising contentment. With this in mind, I would like us to think through a psalm that we often sing at the Dale, Psalm 13. For the director of music, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. 
Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. So my confession is this. I am right now in the midst of asking God, how long? How long, oh God, will you allow multiple sclerosis to eat at Dion? Will you heap loss upon loss? In December, we had a memorial service at the Dale for 46 people. Loss upon loss at the Dale we ask, how long, how long, oh God, will you wait to heal David, who drowns himself in alcohol because of the horrific experience that he had in a residential school? Will you let a landlord take all but $35 of someone's social assistance for a tattered room that is infested and not good and not homelike? Today, we might ask, how long, how long will this pandemic linger? How long will it take to rebuild? So what are your how long questions? Maybe you can be thinking about them right now. What are some promises of God that you are holding on to? Think about a time that God has felt silent. How do you praise God? What do you want to offer praise to him for? This question, how long, is repeated four times in this song. Charles Spurgeon says that, quote, it betokens very intense desire for deliverance and great anguish of heart. In moments of need, the psalmists frequently ask God why he chooses to hide his face. They long, I long, I imagine we long for God to reveal his shining face and offer deliverance and blessing. I believe that one of the biggest challenges in praying Psalm 13 um, is the potential for one to become incredibly impatient. I am keenly aware right now that when I quiet myself enough to listen, the one thing that rings out is the Lord saying, be patient. Henry Nouwen once said, a waiting person is a patient person. The word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. There is no formula for our rebuilding, as far as I can tell. <laughs> we cannot presume that it will all happen easily or on our timeline. There is a patience that is required. Psalm 13 ends with a statement of trust, with rejoicing, and with an acknowledgement of God's love. This after a very long section of lament and longing. Some might feel this doesn't make sense. How can there be both deep grief and joy? I have a friend who, now years ago, wrote a dissertation on the book of Lamentations. 
She often talks about how joy does not come naturally to her, something I'm sure maybe some of us can relate to. <laughs> um, she describes Lamentations as obviously not a very happy book. We often sing songs in church with the phrase, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and she struggles to join in. With that context in mind, imagine her surprise when she read the following in Adele Berlin's Lamentations commentary. Joy and mourning should not be understood simply as expressions of emotion, but they are religious concepts. Joy is associated with sacrifice and being in God's presence, while mourning is associated with being cut off from God. So it's not just about being happy. It is about an acknowledgement of being in the presence of God. Psalm 13 is but one instance in Scripture where people have the apparent gumption to question the ways of God. I sometimes can be good at that, truth be told. I often question where God is in the turmoil and injustice of the world. About 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Habakkuk asked a similar question. Why, God, do you make me endure evil? Perhaps both Habakkuk and I are, on an even deeper level, asking, how can I keep my faith in you when it seems you have abandoned me? For Habakkuk, the answer comes as this. Write down the vision clearly upon the tablets so that one can read it readily. For the vision still has its time, presses on to fulfillment, and will not disappoint. If it delays, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not be late. So here, we have a spiritual exercise that has been at the heart of liturgical practice, both ancient and modern, to thwart doubt and prevent despair, contemplate the original vision of God's loving promise, the one that captured your heart and prompted you to pick up and follow in the first place. Write it down. Read it. Commit it to memory. Look for it and wait for it. Be patient, but expect it to arrive. So as we consider what it means to rebuild now, after COVID or wherever COVID is right now, I would suggest that this is an especially important exercise. It was pivotal to Parkdale Neighborhood Church when we were in crisis and did not yet know if it could be salvaged. I knew then that we had to remember the source of life and our life as community together. I know now that we must do the same as we consider how to rebuild after the devastation of this pandemic. So what is your vision? Write it down. Commit it to memory. Take time to discern what steps you can take in Isaiah, we are given God's vision for us. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them 
and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations, you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If we embrace God's vision, what does rebuilding our city look like? It looks like sharing food and clothing, like building shelter, like dismantling oppressive systems and seeking justice. It looks like sharing what we have and redistributing wealth. In scripture, there are a thousand references to people who are poor and to the different types of people who are poor, the oppressed, the famished, the dependent, the dispossessed, and so on. There are 1,000 verses that speak to justice and another thousand that speak to the impact of the reign of injustice on our land. So given the weight of scripture uh, that goes to poverty, we, the church, need to take it seriously. We must rally around it. We must learn to understand the different ways in which we are poor. And this also means recognizing that there are those amongst us, myself included, who are not economically poor, but poor nonetheless. Rebuilding means taking our common humanity seriously. Biblically, we all suffer. From the fall on, death is a given, and the suffering that leads to death is also a given. We, of course, wish this was not true. I wish it were not true. And so, how do we move forward? Well, I believe we need each other, we cannot rebuild in a silo. We need to engage in our place, our neighborhoods, our city. Get outside. Walk your area. The longer you do this, the easier it is to notice the person who is always sitting on the same bench, or the store owner who sweeps the sidewalk at the same, day, same time every day, or the family who really loves playing at the park beside the community center. Practice presence and see how relationships form. Be an attentive listener. Allow yourself to be cared by, for by a friend just as you try to care for them. Notice that the Spirit of God is already at work in our neighborhoods and that we are invited to participate in it, to participate in the good news. Build partnerships 
and notice how helpful it is to complement one another's work, that we don't all have to be doing the same thing, and that we are actually stronger together. We also need to take a posture of humility and repentance. For those of us with privilege, we need to name it and make space for those whose voices have been stifled. We need to extend welcome and hospitality. The pandemic has provided an opportunity for us to take a hard look at what wasn't working before and find new and healthier ways of doing things. Things weren't right before. They haven't been completely redeemed yet now. <laughs> um, we know that they will be one day. But how do, how do we take this moment to really look at things? So how does the Dale do this? How do we come alongside people and extend welcome? Well, we begin with a very low threshold. People are invited to come as they are. For instance, sad or happy, high or sober. We have determined that our spaces need to be as safe as possible, recognizing that they'll never be completely safe but as safe as possible and respectful. We seek to co-create such spaces by listening with understanding, speaking with kindness, and building opportunities to both give and receive. If someone is contributing to the space being unsafe or disrespected, we will challenge the behavior to the point that if it doesn't stop, we might ask the person to leave. Important, though, is that we will never, ever retract relationship. Trust is earned slowly. So how does a community become engaged? At the Dale, everyone is invited into full participation, an attempt to have people experience what it means to both give and receive, a value that is too often lost when one is consistently the recipient of charity. We try our best to eliminate anything that feels us them. It is about us creating community together in the strength of God. This means, as an example, that at a Monday drop-in, the room is set up, the food is prepared, and the dishes are done, primarily by our core community members. We eat family-style around tables, or we're looking forward to getting back to that. As staff, we take a posture of humility. We know that we have so much to learn from our people. We often say that while our roles might differ at the Dale, our shared responsibility for it does not. For me in the Dale, this kind of inclusive community requires three things. Creating awareness, breaking down barriers. We are more the same than we are different. At the same time, we can celebrate what makes each of us unique. We always take up an offering on Sundays at the Dale. And I start that by saying, we're invited to give back a portion of whatever it is that God has given us. We're all invited to do that. We have each been given good gifts by God. But this is going to look different for each of us. And that's good news, too. <laughs> um, and so it might not be that somebody gives financially, for instance, at that offering time. It could be that they give something entirely different. The third thing is fostering friendships. Practice presence, be available, walk the streets, get to know one another's names, share yourself in an authentic way, dare even to be vulnerable. 
The Dale did what many describe as the unimaginable by becoming a church without our own building. At the time, there were a lot of people who thought it was too wild an idea. And I think we're waiting for it to fail. Not because they wanted it to, but because they couldn't imagine how it would work. In the context of this little struggling church community, we are reminded of God's presence. God has seen fit to multiply the loaves and the fishes in Parkdale, and I mean this literally. In the early days of our crisis, when there was no money to purchase food for our drop-in, we somehow had full plates. And I am no longer the only staff. I was joined by community workers, Joanna, Moon, Megan Knight, and Olivia Scott, surrounded by a community that has heard that invitation into full participation. I have always found it interesting that in order for a seed to grow and rise toward the sun, it must first be committed to the darkness of the earth. This ancient symmetry of growth is powerfully embodied in the great poise of the trees. This is a quote, a life that wishes to honor its own possibility has to learn too how to integrate the suffering of dark and bleak times into a dignity of presence. Letting go of old forms of life, a tree practices hospitality toward new forms. It balances perennial energies of winter and spring within its own living bark. The tree, poet John O'Donohue concludes, can reach toward the light, endure wind, rain, and storm precisely because it is rooted. So 10 years into this wild experiment, the tree that is the Dale still exists. We are here. We are here even into year three of a pandemic when everything we're doing is looking very different but our commitment to the street remains the same. As my good friend and mentor, Rick Tobias, who I know was honored here last night, prophetically said, coming alongside people is the last hope for the church and its witness. He believed, as I do, that there are two things that function as credible witnesses for the church. Unity. John 17 says it is in our love for the people, it is in our love for us, that others will know God. And that disunity actually serves as an anti-witness. So how do we stand with someone who disagrees with us? How do we stand with somebody who's doing something a little different in our neighborhood? How do we learn to journey in the unity of the Spirit of God? He also believed that the second thing, the second hope for the church and its witness is engagement with those who are poor and marginalized. And again, not only economically poor. This is about recognizing our poverty, and it does include the economically poor, but we need to be in that ourselves as well. That this is where we can feel very close to God. 
It is in the place where we give ourselves to others, where we carry suffering, where we say, let us stand with you. Rick would say, I heard him say this often, that if we take care of this pastoral mandate of being there with people in everything that life throws, that the evangelistic mandate will actually take care of itself because it is speak, we are speaking all along the good news of God, the good news of Christ. If we love people others have deemed unlovable, something happens. And that we just need to give ourselves again and again, even if there is no gain to us. Practicing presence takes time. Our relationship with Fred, who I spoke about earlier, is a prime example of that. I think Oscar Romero's words are a profound and good reminder for any of us as we reimagine what it means to be in the neighborhood, as we reimagine and rebuild right now the church. He said, so it is for us. We may never see end results. And what we do may in the end be very incomplete. Still we minister. Still we love, hoping for the kingdom which is beyond our vision. Still we plant and water the seeds which may not be our own, but in truth belong to future generations. Still we find meaning in our lives as incomplete as they may actually be, because we participate in something much larger than ourselves. And in this hope, we prophesy of the kingdom of God. We prophesy of a future that is not. Let's pray. Oh God, as we come before you with many different things in our hearts and our minds, God, I pray that we would trust that you know them all, that your spirit is at work, Thank you for being a God that we can come to with questions like how long. Help us to be reminded of your vision. Help us to commit that to memory. Help us to find our strength in you. To found everything that we do on you. Lord, show us the way. It has been a hard time hard number of years. We know things were broken before and we know they'll continue to be now. We know that you are you are at work. You are our hope. We long for the day when the kingdom will come in its entirety. Until then, help us to participate in it as it is right here, right now. Show us the way of in your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. As we think about urban ministry in Canada, uh, I think it's important that we recognize that there is a generation of people who have uh, literally given their lives to serving in our urban centers. Uh, one of the um, uh, things that uh, 
makes us uh, stay in place for the long haul is uh, being uh, committed to uh, the values and the vision. Uh, and, but there's a need for a whole new generation. Uh, if you are just at the front end of considering uh, being involved in urban ministry, our next guest, Bill Ryan, has, is somebody that has been in Toronto for decades serving and uh, his uh, session is going to be on uh, long haul in urban ministry. So uh, tune in uh, to our next episode to hear Bill Ryan. Until next time, I'm Kevin Rogers and this is Sidewalk Skyline Park.